0: Welcome to God's Planning, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic.
1: Welcome to God's Planning. I am Father Jacob Bertrand Janzik, and I am joined today with or by Father Gregory Pine. Say hi, Father Gregory. Hello. How Good. you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty well, thanks. Yeah. Um, let's see. Back in D.C., both of us had some different kind of travels, peregrinations. Um, but, uh, just, yeah, plugging along. Peregrinations. Yeah. It's like a fancy word for pilgrimages or wanderings, but I heard Father Thomas Joseph say it at one point and I thought, yeah, that's cool. So then I repeated it. There you go. Mm -hmm. I just think of peregrine falcons, (laughs) (laughs) um, which is a related concept in some tenuous fashion, but we don't need to explore that. I don't think. No, I think that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: So besides our peregrinations, um, what's going on in, in your neck of the woods,
0: Uh, Let's see. So I have begun working on my dissertation, and it's about—so it's about Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, specifically about how Christ saves. So you hear in conversations about salvation a lot of things about um, merit and sacrifice, satisfaction, redemption, all these different kind of paradigms for understanding how it is that the Lord uh, saves us from our sins— uh, but my dissertation is going to look at specifically how Christ saves by living uh, a redeemed or a saved life, as it were, and modeling it for us so that we can live it in turn. So, like, how is Christ a kind of example or exemplary cause of salvation? Uh, so, yeah, I've just been reading the third part of the Summa, and then some comment, or commentators uh, on the text of St. Thomas, just kind of getting the basic groundwork laid for uh, the first and second chapter. So it's pretty sweet, exciting.
1: Yeah, nice. Yeah, very cool.
0: How are you? How are things?
1: Yeah, things are good. Um, kind of standard early fall work for vocation work. Getting prepped for some of our vocation events here in DC. Uh, vocation weekends. Um, the uh, the the retreat that we're that the province and uh, the Thomistic Institute is co sponsoring at the end of October is coming together. Um, that's called the Choosing Well Retreat. I don't know if it's called the Choosing Well Retreat. The name of the retreat is <laughs> Choosing Well. You can check that out on the Thomistic Institute website if you are interested in any of that. Um, but other other than that, we're just kind of just cruising along, kind of going through the fall, early fall. That's it. Nothing ex- nothing terribly exciting, but some exciting things.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So it's good. Um, yeah, so uh, speaking of kind of cruising through the fall, moving closer and closer to, uh, I guess... Uh, November when the election comes that I think Mm -hmm. things in the we've all kind of experienced in different ways whether from um, up close or from afar the kind of the uh, some tense situations some tense times in our (laughs) nation I guess to say the least Um, here in DC has been pretty interesting hasn't been terribly interesting of of late but certainly other parts of the country have and uh, one of the things that I hear with some regularity, perhaps not just because times are tense or difficult or um, whatever kind of adjective or descriptor you want to put on that. But um, something that's also kind of involved in a contemporary parlance is this question of judgment or judging other people or not judging other people or how could we judge other people or or these sorts of these sorts of notions of of judgment and passing judgment and of making judgments. Um, So we thought let's talk about that. What, is it, what does it mean to judge? What does it mean not to judge? What does the culture mean? What does it mean for a Catholic or a Christian to judge, to judge well, to sort of fall into judgmentalism, uh, to fall into the trap or not there? Um, so why don't, Father Gregory, set up the scene for us as,
0: as you see it, um, as you as you think is, is, is worthy of our being set up? Sure, yeah. So past couple of years, working with the TI, uh, traveling to a handful of different college campuses throughout uh, the U.S. i just hearing people's experience of trying to uh, host or, you know, queue up good programming within the Catholic intellectual tradition. And one of the themes that was uh, really popular was the theme of, like, moral relativism. Uh, you might have heard talks with the title of, you know, something simple like that, moral relativism, or like, who am I to judge, things along those lines. And I think that uh, many students incline to that because they find the conversation difficult to navigate on their campuses because you know uh, there's just there's a big emphasis placed upon acceptance uh, and tolerance and there's a growing consensus as to what should be accepted or what should be tolerated and then what falls without the bounds of that orthodoxy uh, and within this conversation there's no real uh, there's no real tolerance for kind of refined nuanced subtle judgment uh, that can, You know host a real dialogue so i think as a result of which many people feel uh kind of at sea or they feel uh cowed by fear of potentially offending somebody or of stepping out of bounds and getting themselves in trouble um and certainly fear of being branded judgmental or um you know bigoted or close-minded or intolerant or things along those lines Uh, so it's a tough road to host certainly but it's not impossible and certainly by drawing some distinctions uh by Kind of deepening our sense of what we are and what we're made for. I think that we can, um, yeah, provide good resources for hosting real conversations and uh, and kind of moving the ball forward.
1: Yeah, I think there's a we're we're kind of inundated with this. I I don't know contemporary virtue, this kind of civic virtue of tolerance. That if if you kind of if you introduce any sort of even reasonable question, reasonable sort of discussion, reasonable, um, I don't know. Uh, investigation as to why we should accept one thing or another, even things that aren't, you know, hot button issues, but just things, asking questions, wanting to sort of lay out logical, reasonable, reasonable distinctions, so as to come to a conclusion uh, for one's own decisions, for the decisions that are being made in the culture at large, or these kind of things. There, there, it is very easy then to become sort of to open yourself up to the criticisms of, of being judgmental or intolerant. And that automatically relegates you to kind of a, a non-entity. It's, it's a way by which you can be and you we are sidelined very quickly. Um, so because of this focus on acceptance and tolerance, um, looking, at, looking at what it means doesn't mean that we ought not be accepting intolerant. Uh, in, in in but in a particular way, I think it's, it's important to, to recognize what is actually t- tolerant and what is actually accepting and what is actually a sort of good kind of judgment making with respect to our own lives and with respect to other people so as to function well as a human being, but also so as, so as to love well and to serve well. Um, because w- without that sort of, this was. Uh, a big a big thing that uh, John Paul II proposed that without that the that, that um reason and or truth and charity kind of in the the interplay of truth and charity then we can't actually love if we're not loving in truth and truth requires us to make judgments to come to understand what is true and and what is good and what is what is beautiful
0: yeah and i think that like um something that can be liberating just to kind of trot out at the beginning of the conversation is to say that we are made for making judgments right so we're human beings uh, men and women made to the image and likeness of god so we have minds with which to know and hearts with which to love and our minds you know like all powers are poised for action right so they're perfected in use right or they're perfected in exercise and that's what we hope for in the end in heaven we hope to behold the face of god in a loving vision which engages us right it's an activity it's an activity that's wholly engrossing and wholly restful Um, So our way to that fulfillment, our way to that peace is by way of, you know, making judgments, right? So when you think about like, what does the mind do? Well, you perceive something in the world and, um, you know, it impresses itself upon your mind. And then you immediately begin making judgments about what it is that you've perceived. So maybe like you're out, it's like 745 on a Tuesday night in Washington, D.C. and you hadn't gotten your run in. And so you go down the Metropolitan Branch Trail And, uh, you know, like you're passing by a particular spot on the trail where they're doing construction and the, like the trail gets, you know, rerouted to a different spot and you're, you're like looking at the ground and you're trying to discern like whether it's good footing or whether it's bad footing, whether you could potentially like hurt yourself or whether you could just kind of toddle on without thinking another thing about it. You're, you're apprehending a situation. You're making judgments as concern your safety, as concerns your well-being, right, your fitness, and then from that, your reasoning, you know, like how you ought to, you know, move your feet. And a lot of this is just kind of instinctual. That's just a simple mundane example, but it's something that we always do. It's something that's always in process. So to say, you know, don't be judgmental is not to say don't make judgments because our minds are poised for the making of judgments. And, you know, while that example isn't a particularly interesting or moral one, um, certainly it can have wider um, and more urgent application when it's something like, you know, your friend or your roommate in college uh, maybe is like breaking different COVID protocols, and, you know, they kind of care, but they kind of don't care. They're in, they're, they're, their kind of mentality about the whole thing is that, you know, we're going to get sent home anyway, so why not just kind of enjoy our first couple of weekends here? And you're trying to determine whether or not you should tell because there's this whole hotline of, you know, having to report people if you know. And here you are, you're like, you're apprehending a situation, you're making judgments about it, you're reasoning upon it, and it's complicated, you know. But if you don't make judgments, that's, that's itself a judgment. You've chosen not to engage. So I think maybe just at the outset of the conversation, simply to say that our minds are poised for the making of judgments. We're going to make judgments one way or another, even if the judgment is that I won't think about this thing. The judgment is that we're going to dig a hole in the sand and bury our heads therein. Um, so we are making judgments. The idea then is how do we go about making judgments well, and how do we go about making judgments appropriately, especially when it concerns other people?
1: Yeah, I think the one of the important things to—like the examples that you used, Father Gregory, are— I mean, the, the running one is, is, as you mentioned, like less grave, less important, you know, but, and then, and then the, the roommate COVID thing, yeah, obviously more important than like whether or not the running trail or path ahead of you is like good footing or you can see or whatever. Um, I, ultimately I think these, as, as you well know, and as probably most of our listeners well know that most of these, the, the sort of criticisms of being judgmental often have to do with, you know, things that are of, um, well, we would, yeah, of moral weight, of serious weight, of of kind of real important life issues. I mean, often the sort of looking at somebody's life and saying, "Oh, what they're doing is wrong," whatever it may be, but what they're doing is wrong. Well, don't be judgmental. I I think often my my immediate response in that is is well, I'm going to judge anyhow. So, like you've already said, like we're making judgments, and you've and when somebody criticizes that of of another person, if I were to say to you, Father Gregory, oh, stop being judgmental, don't judge them. In that, I've already made a judgment. I've already made a judgment that your perception of things is is either wrong or not as good or that sort of thing. And then have judged it worthy to tell you not to do that, to tell you not to be judgmental, um, which is fine. I mean, in, in some cases that that can be fine, but I, th- I think we have to be willing to make a distinction that uh, between between judging the, the quality, the goodness of, of a thing, of something someone's doing, even of a person, because our, our actions do contribute to who we are as human beings. You know, a liar is a liar because he lies. And we could say somebody is a liar, make that judgment, because we see that he lies. Um, we, have to be, we have to be willing to, to engage with, with that ability to, to judge actions to judge things, even in some sense to judge people, because ultimately uh, being made in the Imago Dei, being made with an intellect and a will, we're made for the good, ultimately the, the the highest good, God himself. And in order to get there, we have to make decisions. We have to make decisions about our own actions. We have to make decisions about the world and our how much we conform to it, how much we participate in it, and what degree or to what degree we we want to do this or that. I mean, we we constantly have to make judgments um, about all of these things. So as to, as to pursue the ultimate good and God, but also like the goods and happiness here, here on earth that are, that are ordered to that, but that, that, that act of judging is, is something that's inevitable and unavoidable as, as we are human beings, as that's a, like a, a proper act of the human being to judge.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that uh, you'll often hear the dictum that you're to love the sinner but hate the sin. Uh, it's a good thing in certain senses. It's maybe a little bit weather worn in others, um, because I think identifying the person as a sinner already contains an implicit an an implicit judgment that many people will find difficult uh, for you know navigating the early steps of a conversation. Uh, so maybe simply to say like you know like love the person hate the things that that person does to their own self-destruction. Um, but here, already, let's. I think it's helpful to make a further distinction of judging things and judging people, right? So when we say, you know, like love the sinner and hate the sin, we're saying that you make a different judgment with regard to the person and then with regard to what they do, okay? So with regard to the person, here is someone of inestimable dignity and also somebody who is uh, potentially a member of the body of Christ. I was just reading an article from the Summa today where St. Thomas was talking about uh, is, is Christ head of all people? And he says, yes. He's especially head of the blessed, right? Then he's head of those who are in a state of grace. Then he's also head of those who have faith. And then he's also head of those who potentially have faith uh, and will eventually come to heaven. And he's still head of those who potentially have faith and will fall away. They cease to be part of the body when they choose permanently for hell. But we often recognize that, like, while you yet have life breath within you, you can return to the Lord or you can come to the Lord. And I think that, um, Like something that really works against the vitriol and the hatred that that corrodes a lot of the speech is a genuine love for the other person, a kind of sympathy for the other person. And that doesn't mean like a kind of condescending or patronizing, papering over of their actions, which might ultimately be for their undoing, right? It means a genuine kind of piercing to the heart of who they are and loving them unto their destiny. Uh, And that, again, people will think that that is high and mighty because you're presuming to know their goal of life better than they do. But you can know that. Because Christ revealed it, so it's not something that you just kind of standing on your own two feet say like, "Hey, get off my cloud! I'm up here, you know, laid up among the heavens because I'm so great." You're not. You're not saying that in the least. You're, it's a it's a humble recognition of the fact that God, in His generosity, has seen fit to reveal what we're made for, and He's given you some small glimmer or some small um, kind of indication of what that is. But with it comes a responsibility, right? So. Love the sinner, right? Have a real sympathy for the person, but then make real judgments about the sins because they are observable, right? They're judgeable and they are, you know, remediable. There's something that can actually be addressed and something that can be changed, provided that they're taken up in the context of a conversation.
1: All right. With that, we are going to take a short break and then we will return to this topic of judgment in the second half of the episode. Stay tuned.
0: This is Godsplaining. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash
1: godsplaining. All right, welcome back to Godsplaining. Uh, in this episode, we're talking about judgments, judgmentalism. I think that's enough syllables to pronounce that word, right? Sounds right. Yeah, judgmentalism. Um, and just before just before our break, we were talking about um, distinguishing between things and persons and making judgments with respect to particularly people and, and their end, and how recognizing that we can judge what a person is doing, what a person is not doing, um, is is not necessarily a, a, a hateful thing, but something, in fact, if we recognize the end for which each of us are made um, in the body of Christ, that we can actually call people um In different ways, whether by our actions or by our words or by our example, or these sorts of things to a life of happiness and fulfillment. A a distinction here that I, between two things that I really find helpful is between tolerance and mercy, making the comparison between tolerance and mercy. Um, And in both of those, both uh, with respect to tolerance and mercy, uh, they start in the same place. Both tolerance and mercy uh, begin by recognizing a person's um, weakness, sin, brokenness, or whatever about them, or difference, or we can even just say difference. Um, And in recognizing that difference, tolerance is is happy to um, love that person um, almost because of that difference, or without without looking at that difference or weakness or brokenness um, with any sort of hope of change. It's just sort of loving a person where they are. And that's not enough, truth be told. Mercy, on the other hand, recognizes a person's brokenness, sinfulness, weakness, vice, whatever we want to call it, um, recognizes that, loves them, and because of that love, calls them from that to something greater. Um, In the case of our Lord, our Lord's mercy heals and forgives and transforms and elevates. Our Lord never once looks at somebody and leaves them in their sort of um, fallen human state, of which we are all part, but rather loves them, loves them unconditionally, um, heals them, and tells them, sin no more. Uh, It's a matter not of loving. I mean, both love. I I think whether or not we're on the same side of the argument here, I think we all want to love and to love well, generally, hopefully. Um, but it's a matter of how do we love? What are what is what is the end of our love for somebody else? Is it simply to let people kind of sit and be where they are, or to call them to something to something even greater, even better, even higher, even more rich? Um, one of the things too to think about uh, is is particularly what with respect to people, what we're judging. Um, we talked about, we were just talking about this a little bit, uh, love the sin or hate the sin kind of making more distinction there, but the difference between, uh, actions and and motivations of knowing, you know, uh, kind of what, what is possible to sort of judge well or in good faith. Uh, yeah. Do you want to explain that?
0: Yeah, sure. So, um, St. Thomas has this, uh, Little article, I think it might be in like a response to an objection. I've forgotten where, but he talks about the difference between judging things and judging people. And basically he says, you know, with respect to things, you don't have to worry too terribly much about being overly harsh. You know, it's a, it's a danger, but the thing itself doesn't stand to be wounded by your judgment. So truth is, you know, the perfection of the mind. And so you want to kind of ply or you want to tack as close to the wind as you can to use a strange, um, Uh, kind of image that doesn't really illuminate the concept at all, but just confuses it. Um, You want to get as close to an accurate statement of the thing as your lights illumine, right? As you have access to. But with respect to a person, he says, there's kind of grounds for being generous uh, because the person can stand to suffer by your judgment. It might be a private judgment that you make, or you might talk about it with somebody else. You might give way to detraction or derision or you know openly to the other person you might revile them or blah 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 you could do any number of things. Um, but the person could stand to suffer by virtue of your judgment, especially if it's false and overly harsh. Um, so we should kind of bake in a bit of generosity into our judgments for that other person. And as you mentioned by kind of like setting the point up, um, this specifically concerns our inability to access their intentions right So we can judge the action from the outside, right? And there are certain things that are just intrinsically evil, right? So if you see somebody murdering somebody, you know that that's a sin, you know that that's a bad thing. Uh, Now, mind you, their motivation may make it more grave or make it less grave, depending upon whether or not there are other things involved. You know, the Joker could have told them, you know, either kill this person or this person or these thousand, you know, like there could be things on the line, as it were, it's still an intrinsically evil act, you can make a judgment about it. But we want to be a little bit agnostic, with respect to what ultimately motivates it, because we don't have access to their interior life, and we cannot presume bad faith, because that would be a sin on our part. So it pertains to God to judge their interior life, and it pertains to us to judge what we can see, and then to offer some form of correction, as it were, some form of encouragement, or some form of something, uh, maybe in order to afford them a way out. And here I think, like, you know, in the ambient culture, everyone's judging everything, right? There are, there are tons of judgments on offer, and they're going to hear preaching of a sort. So somebody's going to try to convince them of their gospel, right? So it's not like if you just, you know, if you just kind of stay out of the fray, they'll come to the knowledge of the truth by themselves because they're hearing it from elsewhere. Um, so yes, we have a kind of agnosticism with respect to their intentions. We can judge the action itself, but that should motivate us to reach out to them um, and to, to offer something, in the way of mercy, like you mentioned.
1: So you mentioned a couple of times the culture being engaged. Um, wh- what are your What do you think about then the sort of our our response? You know, people who um, want to uphold some sort of or uphold the truth and to live in accord with the truth, but not 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 cower in order to live the truth. Um, I think often we we can be afraid to say what we think for fear of um of you know at worst perhaps being attacked you know our our welfare might be might be at risk but perhaps that's not always the case but of, of being sidelined of being ostracized of um of not being taken seriously of being called a bigot these sorts of things what h- how to approach um how to approach that how to be a good witness to the truth and to the faith um and to reality without but, but in a sort of cunning and, and, and uh, good way as, so as to get people to hear or see or, or listen. I guess it's the same thing as hear.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I like the, uh, the reference there to innocent as doves, you know, crafty as serpents. And I think that this is something where the quality of our witness really commends our words, right? So our novice master told us that, um, you know, we should correct each other when, um, when it matters, right? So you you ought to proffer a kind of fraternal correction to your brother if, um, you know, the the thing at stake is significant, if you think that there's a real chance that he could change, and if you're motivated by love, right, if you're able to communicate it in a way that you think he might be able to receive. Uh, But I think that's, you know, just kind of more broadly true in life. It's not just something that's for religious life. My own experience of fraternal correction is that more than being rebuked by the kind of direct engagement of the brothers, I'm often encouraged uh, by their witness, right? I'm more encouraged by the fact of this particular guy continuing to sign up for things, even though he's overburdened with work and is evidently tired by the bags under his eyes. It makes me want to be more generous and like less selfish and kind of retreating from the common life and things like that. And so I think that the quality of one's witness commends his or her words. Um, So I think, you know, like uh, oftentimes in conversations about abortion, you'll hear people say of the pro-life cause that it's inconsistent, right? It's just, um, you know, it's very like kind of adamant or vociferous at the outset of life, but it doesn't really follow through. And I remember summer of 2014, there was this buffer law that was being contested in the Supreme Court. So uh, I think it was the state of Massachusetts said that you couldn't be within X number of feet of the door of an abortion clinic. And then that, that had gone up, you know, like that had been contested. It had gone up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court eventually said, No, you know, like this is unconstitutional. People who protest should be allowed up to a much closer distance. And the woman who was actually the one bringing it before the court had adopted like many children. Like her kind of go-to thing was she would pray outside the clinic, she would try to talk to the women, and then she would just offer to take their kid. (laughs) You know, so like the quality of her witness makes it more difficult to dismiss her. You know, you can't just say, like, this woman doesn't give a care in the least about underprivileged people, about unplanned pregnancy, about the children themselves, about the women. Because clearly, the fact of her caring is commended by the consistency of her witness. So I think that, like, um, yeah, to be, to be thoroughgoingly committed to the cause means to be um, set about a task of, of ongoing conversion. But also to be cognizant of the fact that if you don't testify, someone else will. Okay, if you don't testify, someone else will. Judgments are being made. Oftentimes, they're just camouflaged. So it falls to us to kind of bring things to the light. And we may be reviled, right? And we may suffer for it. And I suppose it's easy for me to say because I don't have a job that I could lose, right? And I live, whatever, in a religious house that's exempt from property taxes. And there are all these things that make it easier for me to say that than it is for other people to say that. But still, like, we are to encourage each other in being courageous.
1: Yeah, this is this is one of the things that uh, we can't kind of presume upon or something that will be kind of handed to us a, a way to speak the truth, a way to speak the truth and to live the truth. Well, this is something that we as as. Catholics, as Christians, as as people of goodwill, need to practice. Uh, we need to sort of be well informed and speak well about the faith. You know, we need to study the faith, and not, not necessarily as like a doctoral student or that sort of thing. But we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared to speak, uh, to speak truthfully, but also speak in a way that's appealing. Um, and I think that 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 can be learned and and kind of gained by by just spending time listening to not, you know, perhaps not God's planning, but you know, some, some great apologetic apologists who are uh, on, on podcasts, or, you know, I think immediately of like Bishop Barron, who often speaks very charitably, but also convincingly of the things of the faith, um, those, those sorts of things that, that it becomes part of the way in which we're thinking and the part of the way in which we are approaching, uh, things that are true and good, so as to be prepared when the time comes to speak. Um, in a good and true way but I do think that uh, I, I often make this kind of comparison uh, to other people who are in my mind but like the, the the handful of people that have truly influenced my life that have really kind of shaped uh, shaped who I am um, I remember some things I said, but I don't have like a list of like Confucian sayings from these people of like of these sort of like life dictums that I kind of repeat and memorize. But rather, it really is the way in which they live that is contagious, that is infectious, that that draws people in so that when they do speak, whether or not I remember, um, I, I'm more ready to be convinced or I'm more ready to listen or I'm more ready to, to follow suit in that kind of way. Um, so, yeah, I, did, I don't think there's a, a kind of if we just study this one thing or if we just act in this one way, it's, it's kind of a whole picture thing. It's a whole way of, of, living and thinking. And, and that is something that we can, um, that we're, we're called to, to take part in, to come to know and to, to love better and to know better and, and sort of shape, shape our lives that way. Otherwise we kind of find ourselves trapped or surprised by, by a moment and, um, aren't ready to respond in, in, in the fullest way that we could.
0: I have uh, one final thought. I was listening to a, um, a podcast. Father Dominic Leg gave a a lecture on a a theme very much related to this, and he pulled out this text from St. John Paul II, who was talking about his experience in totalitarian regimes, Um, and he says, "...totalitarianism arises out of a denial of truth in the objective sense. If there is no transcendent truth in obedience to which man achieves his full identity, then there is no sure principle for guaranteeing just relations between people." Their self-interest as a class, group, or nation would inevitably set them in opposition to one another. If one does not acknowledge transcendent truth, then the force of power takes over, and each person tends to make full use of the means at his disposal in order to impose his own interests or his own opinion with no regard for the rights of others. And i just hearing that and reading that. It's bracing, right, because it's very much reminiscent of certain conversations, even in our democratic republic, you know. Um, But this appeal to the transcendent truth as something that orders uh, not only our discourse, but also our relationships and gives us a grasp on something that cannot be simply subjected to power or emotion or manipulation of whatever sort is very encouraging, is very hopeful. So we have that in the Lord. Uh, We need only rely upon it uh, and act like those who believe it to be true. All right, well
1: with that, thanks for tuning in to this episode of God's Planning on Judgment and Judgmentalism, hopefully has given you a little um, inspiration to sort of best prepare to make good judgments and to impose them on other people <laughs> well. Uh, but in all seriousness, we are continuing, of course, to pray for you pray for us too. Pray for the work of, of the podcast. Share it with those who you think might find it interesting. Um, spread spread the word. And uh, until next time, take care and God bless.
0: Thanks for listening to God's Plan, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.